Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah. It's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five. Four. We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Well, here we are again, Paul. It's The Switzer Show. Paul Ricker, my colleague, is sitting right beside me. And can you ever get over how good that introduction is? Peter, good afternoon. No, I cannot get over how good that introduction is. We've got some very, very talented people that work for yeah, and in the, the world, Switzer organisation. That's right, in the world of money, who would have expected something as creative as that? I, I take my hat off to our colleagues who produced it. Today, Paul, and we should make out the point that Paul is not only a celebrated colleague of ours at the Switzer Group, a star writer with the Switzer Report, former CEO, founding CEO of Comsec. So you've got some, some credibility when it comes to talking about stocks, at least, Paul. Um, let's talk about the implications of Bill Shorten and what you know, his ban on tax refunds for retirees, what that might mean for how you invest in the future. Because, okay, the retirees, if he becomes prime minister, will be affected by it. But there are people who say in their 40s and 50s are thinking, well, I've got to invest for my future retirement. I thought I was going to go for dividend-paying stocks mm-hmm. with nice uh, tax refunds when I retire. That's not going to be there. Do I need to take more risk then as a consequence of, of Bill's decision if he becomes prime minister? So they're the all sort of things I want to talk about. But before we do that, we should just have a quick look at how the stock market responded to all of this Royal Commission stuff we've got out there right now. Look, um, for a Monday, not a bad day in the market. Given a, a pretty negative lead-in from Wall Street, on Friday night, our market up uh, around about 20 points just as it comes to a close, Peter. Mm. We're uh, doing this just a couple of minutes before the final numbers have come in. But look, a good performance. In fact, we've seen the banks up today, which is uh, coming back to form a little bit, and some of the major resource companies also rallying. Mm. And if anything, the so-called some of the growth stocks have sort of come off today, which has been a little, little surprising. Yeah, but Paul, do you think some smarties are thinking, the worst of the banking news is out there. Therefore, we'll buy now on the basis that eventually things will settle down and their, their share prices will start sneaking up over time. Or is it too early to to be a, a bottom biter? Whatever. <laughs> What's that term they use when you your fishes, you're, you're in the bottom of the bed? What's that term? I'm trying to think, Peter, on what a bottom biter it's not is. Bo- but not a bottom biter. <laughs> bottom fisher, I think. <laughs> bottom fisher. Anyway, look, something like that. Look, a little early. I mean, I'm, I'm probably in the camp. I, I felt that the Royal Commission wouldn't achieve a lot, so I probably should be like uh, Malcolm Turnbull and uh, and our financial services minister, Kelly oh. Dwyer, and eating humble pie and saying, yep, well, we, we're sorry, you got it wrong. I, I got that wrong. But my guess, Peter, is you've still got to see... The, ultimately the recommendations and uh, what the government does with it as to whether it's really going to have a big impact on the industry long term. Now, mm. clearly there's some reputation damage and we're going to get uh, see some pretty horrible cases which have come out so far and we're going to see some issues around, um, you know, people would uh, probably the worst thing is uh, about ASIC and so forth, not re- misleading ASIC. I think that's probably the most damaging thing to date. But I- I'm still, I don't think the Royal Commission will actually result in a lot of change. I think the government's already well down this path. Yeah. 
Uh, we've seen things like the Bear legislation, which is the new legislation that starts on 1st of July and, and going to affect what banks can pay their executives mm. uh, quite, uh, quite substantially. That comes in the 1st of July. We've seen it in the tougher penalties announced. We've got a whole lot of other things that are coming into banking. Uh, and, uh, you know, the market's come off and banks have been sold off and sort of the reputational damage. The question is, uh, really, does that get much worse? My guess is it doesn't. But, look, uh, the sentiment is still a little mm. negative. So I guess when we see a bad week for Royal Commission noise, we're going yeah. to see a bad week on bank shares. You, don't, you think it's a little early for bottom fishing. Is no, that what I, you're I, bottom fishing, that's the term. But yes, I, I do think it's a little bit early. I, I think last week was um, quite negative for the reputation of banks. I don't think Kelly O'Dwyer, the finance minister, financial services minister, really did her reputation any good the way she uh, responded to the questions on the insiders yesterday. Um, but I don't think banks will go too low unless governments come up with something really draconian. Like, for example, we've got Professor Alan Fells out there saying we should break up the banks. I don't think that's ever going to happen, do you, Paul? I don't think they could be broken up. I think it's quite possible the wealth management parts could be uh, sold or at least different components. So that's already sort of... Oh! <laughs> we're getting a call, Peter, and it's making... <laughs> oh. Well, I think we're getting a bit of a, a bit of a technical issue there, right. Paul. So we're not sure what happened there, but look, that keeps it us. It may alive. well be somebody responding to you being it, a little bit too positive towards that. It banks. could be. I mean, I, I think uh, you know, just to pick up that point again, Peter. Yeah. The, uh, the the question is about sentiment as much as about what the bank and the and the government can actually do. Uh, I, I think breaking up the banks is probably unlikely, but. Of like you, perhaps an end to vertical integration of some components. And by vertical integration, we mean that perhaps, particularly in the advice sphere, they won't be able to manufacture the product and advise on the product and distribute the product. So they'll have to sell either their manufacturing or their distribution or their advice businesses. And uh, but, but the market, the industry, the industry's already started down that path. I mean, ANZ is largely out of many of these parts of wealth management. Yep. Uh, Commonwealth Bank's already announced it's selling its its uh, common shares. Uh, well, selling its its manufacturing business, that is, uh, or its, its investment management business. Westpac's already done it with with the BT Investment Management. So, the industry's sort of already getting out of wealth management to an extent, anyhow. So, I think the challenge for banks, though, is how they grow. And so, I suppose when people are talking about breaking them up, it's still hard to get growth. And yeah. uh, uh, but look. I think banks are okay. So uh, this Royal Commission does present an opportunity. As investments. As investments. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've got to buy when other people don't want them. Good point. Now, look, we are coming up for an ad break. And after the ad break, we will pro- uh, talk to Andrew Main. And Andrew was the former investment editor for the Australian newspaper. And we'll talk to him about uh, what he thinks about the Royal Commission. We did get off the, the Bill Shorten uh, refund. Mm. And we might finish on that because I think it's something that is still a pretty important issue to many people. So let's just go to an ad break. We'll we'll sort those wonderful gremlins that attacked you as you were talking, Paul, and we'll find out where they're coming from. But we'll go to an ad break right now. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. 
Interested? Call 1300-664-339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. <laughs> well, Paul, we're back together again. It looks like we've sorted out our gremlin issues. Um, and before we get Andrew Main on the line, uh, let's just talk briefly about the Bill Shorten issue. What, what do you think, Paul? Do you think people should be starting to you know, invest differently because they won't be able to get the kind of tax refunds that they were hoping for in retirement? Well, I think, Peter, people should be very careful about taking any action already. I think they've got to bear in mind two things. First of all, uh, only some people are impacted. So we, we tend to assume that just because we're ending cash refunds that everybody's impacted. Of course, they're not. So any uh, person paying tax at 47% or 39% in the dollar, this change means absolutely nothing. Uh, Secondly, uh, in terms of super funds, uh, most super funds or many super funds in accumulation mode won't be impacted because uh, unless they've got a really high weighting to Australian shares, Mm. uh, they don't get cash refunds. So it's really only the super funds in pension phase, which of course are most, a lot and many of your SMSFs, and also other low-rate taxpayers, for example, a non-working spouse who happens to have some share investments. So adding that up, only some people are impacted. So that's the first point. Secondly, to get this change through, he's got to legislate it. So he's got to be elected, first of all. So yep. the poll's tightening a little bit. Maybe he will, maybe he won't get it, become the next prime minister. Mm. And then he's got to get the change through, not just the House of Representatives, through the Senate. And we've seen how hard it is to get any simple tax change through the Senate. So It is the House that says no. It is the House that says no, particularly when it's taking away from people. So it's not as though this is, uh, this is going to cost, uh, as we know, um, many pensioners and others, people particularly who just miss out on the government pension, are going to see their incomes drop, uh, in some cases, between five and $10,000, quite yep. a big change to their annual income. You can imagine the noise they're going to make. So to think that our populist, crazy, cross-fed senators mm. are going to suddenly say yes to Bill Shorten's plan, I think is wishful thinking. So... My assessment of, uh, of the plan as currently structured getting through uh, Parliament is, is actually quite low. Yeah. So do you rush out and, and, and change your investments now? I'd be a little bit careful because the market's also factored in some of this as well. So, um, look, I, I guess at the end of the day, uh, if it does get through, we'll, we're required to take a little more risk. Mm in terms of go for things that don't have the attraction of... So, in a sense, Bill will be encouraging retirees to be more risky with their investments because they will lose $10,000, and for example, and if that was the case, you'd think, well, I'm going to have to go in some stocks that might potentially give me $10,000 or more, but the flip side is when the market falls, they really could be in trouble, couldn't they? So th- they might have to, for example, look at things like property trusts yep. or look at some of the uh, so-called credit funds and higher risk bonds out there yep. to get higher income. But that means taking a little more risk. But also uh, buying stocks for buying capital stocks gain. For capital gain, mm. looking a bit more offshore. And yep. you could say that takes on a little bit more risk. So that is what... Or they could eat dog food. Or or they could cut their lifestyle and spend less and, as you say, uh, probably spend less on their grandchildren and children rather than... uh, That's the point. That's probably the biggest lose, I guess. And I think there's going to be a lot of retirees saying to their their children and their grandchildren, you know, this is going to be really hard on me in the short term. But in the long term, Bill, Bill is actually shrinking 
your inheritance. So I think that's going to be a very powerful pre-election message from a low retiree. And, and the other obvious impact, Peter, will be people looking at strategies to become eligible for the mm-hmm. government pension. So people who, who currently miss out because of the assets test yep. who are retiring will think about, well, maybe I need to uh, get rid of some of my assets or convert them into assets that are exempt from the assets test, such mm-hmm. as putting money into the family home. Yep. So I can become eligible for a part pension so I can get my frank credit. The travel credit agents be really happy about this. Travel oh, agents might be really happy. For, and they're not necessarily great financial strategies. No. They could be okay. But look, I think there's always uh, impacts when they make changes like this. And I, I think, Peter, that leads on to perhaps a segue to you. How do you think he should modify his plan, apart from obviously abolishing it? But if he doesn't yeah, abolish he it... He won't abolish it. A cap of, say, 10 or 20 grand will, I think, It'd be acceptable by a lot of the senators. The thing is this, you don't, someone who's say on 50 or 60 grand in retirement, which is a nice income for a retiree, if they lose $10,000, that's a big slug to them. It means they probably won't renew their car every four or five years. It might mean they can't have overseas holidays and whatever. Now, apparently we've got our caller, Andrew Main. He's on the line. So let's just go through and see what he has to think about the Royal Commission. And we might get back to Bill later in the program. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Oh, how are you doing, Peter? Can Very you, can, good can indeed. Can you hear me? It's a scary business. I can't see you, but you can see me. Yeah, no, but don't worry about it. I know what you look like. I'm not missing out on much at all. Okay. So, Andrew. Oh, thank you for these two kind words. Yeah. <laughs> okay, mate. Uh, listen, Andrew, yeah, I'm really interested in your take on what the Royal Commission has uh, trawled up. People like you and me have been watching the banks and the insurance companies over the years. We've always known there's been a lot wrong, but this is, seems to be very big news for lots of people in the real world. Very much, very much so, Peter. First of all, I've got to say that I wrote an article for you in November saying I wasn't sure that it was going to be necessary to have a Royal Commission because I believe, uh, rather naively in terms of that all the bad news was out there in the market, to which we now realize that was not the case. Um, and this, atro- this atrocious stuff from AMP about, uh, about charging people for, for advice they weren't getting, that we'd, we'd had nothing on that. And um, what I do think is interesting, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrifying, but what, considering what a short time frame this Royal Commission has got, They've actually played the whole thing like a violin. But the first thing they've done is they've, they've requested the big financial institutions to fess up to their sins by a date in February. And we don't know what they fessed up to, but that, that, uh, that basically gave the Royal Commission all the ammunition they needed. Uh, they were pretty tight on, on, on what let's call sob stories, which is all sounds cynical, but the individuals telling, telling sad stories about, about being ripped off, but they've had enough to... Uh, to get people to get people's attention, and what in, in summary, Peter, that it's all much worse than I imagine, and uh, I'm sure that's the that's the attitude that uh, that most viewers or indeed people in the street have taken, and that means mm. serious uh, serious reputational damage, not only for the big four banks who are used to be being towed around the place, but particularly for AMP, which up till now was merely regarded as a rather large, slow-moving, uh, not very exciting leviathan. Mm. Yeah, look, I think the, the story that 
I can't forget. Um, I've got Paul here, Paul Rico with me here as well. Yeah, Paul, the story that, that really quite shocked me was the fact that they were charging people 10 years after they had died. And to think yeah. that that level of um, intrusion into, into a person's wealth, even after death, did that stagger you, Paul? Look, it, it did and it didn't. Um, it didn't in the sense that I, that I think that one of the challenges in this industry, uh, and I've seen it firsthand in, in a case I helped with, is that the big institutions like the AMPs uh, have bought over the years so many financial planning firms. Okay. That's just and say. none of these people generally had systems and records are really patchy and scarce. Mm. And so, you know, you set up a direct debit on someone's account, the money comes in and it keeps rolling in. Uh, and if someone doesn't tell you they've died, well, you just keep charging them. Now, that's not a defence, mm. but I guess I'm saying I'm not that surprised. Surprise, yeah. I, no, no, I, I, think, I, I think a lot of people would be staggered to think that that's how simple it could be, and then the end result is, well, they look like a bunch of yeah. you know, grave robbers. <laughs> they do. Uh, and I suppose you've got to say, Andrew, that there's some liability, culpability with the executor of the estate. Mm. Yes. You know, what have they been doing for 10 years? Of course, who are executors? Executors are normally worthy relatives, but they're not not generally particularly financially literate. And and they might see a charge coming up in the the documentation for the estate, uh, coming up on an annual basis, thinking that this was some sort of management fee for running the running running the money yeah. whereas actually actually it was it was it was an advice fee for advice that wasn't provided yeah look i think you're right andrew and look i'm, I'm not trying to defend them i'm just saying that no. perhaps i didn't find that as surprising mm. having dealt with that particular institution uh for another client uh in, in a similar situation and not being at all surprised by just their lack of record so I, I, the bit that blurred away from me was the fact I think it was the 20 or 25 iterations for the so-called independent report yeah. uh, about what they would tell ASIC and what they would tell the board mm. uh, and just um, that and the sort of the cover-up trying not so the CEO wasn't mentioned and then the misleading ASICs on so many occasions. That's what surprised me, not some of the other uh, relevations. But you're writing a story for our, our website on all this. What, what, what is the, yeah. uh, apart from your surprising mea culpa in the sense yeah. that you just didn't think it could be as bad as it is, yeah. what else have you, have you, have you put forward any ideas of how the system can be fixed? Well, uh, a lot of it's about the vertical integration model because you, you will remember that vertical integration for bank-owned uh, financial services firms was all the go about uh, 10, 15 years ago. And indeed, mm. the banks were running around buying wealth management businesses with a view to you know, this classic, what was a one-stop shop. It was almost like what they called bank assurance. It was the notion that somebody would walk in the door of a bank, and by the time they'd finished, they'd, they'd, been, they'd been helped, at the very least, let's be polite about it, to set up their future, to cover their insurance requirements, etc. And that was uh, really a terrific opportunity for those banks. Uh, particularly as, um, and I'm getting more cynical here, um, it was amazingly possible to persuade people to buy financial products that were actually, you know, devised by by that same bank. Um, mm. So I think that, I think there's 
just looking forward, which is what I think you're hoping, hoping I'm going to do here, and yeah. certainly I've had a go at this in the article that's appearing tomorrow, it's a, the vertical integration model um, looks like there's going to be some kind of uh, dismantling. And what does concern me about that is that for all we're bagging the banks, for all we're bagging A&P, they are providing financial advice. And I'm a bit nervous that a baby's going to be chucked out with the bathwater here and that we're going to have a lot of people not getting financial advice. Now, I realize that we've got you know, robo-advice, which you know, sounds like the speaking clock telling you what to do with your, uh, with your savings. But robo-advice does have the immense benefit that it's completely impartial. Uh, but it really only works for people who've got pretty much plain vanilla financial requirements. The inescapable point is that there's, there will always be a need for financial advice for people who are trying to look after their own retirement. And I would be quite disappointed and nervous, to be honest, if any legislation to sort out the mess that we're currently in has the effect of reducing the opportunity for people to get financial advice on a, on a better basis, on a fee-for-service basis, on... There are a number of ways that, that financial advice can be provided in a more transparent way than it's currently happening. Yep. Now, Andrew, we have to go to an ad break, but when we come back, I want to fly up the flagpole my idea to fix up the whole financial uh, problems that we've got with all our institutions. So I'd love you to hang in there and just give me a, okay. a reaction to, I'll, to my... I'll, just get ready. I'll get ready to salute them, will I? <laughs> we'll do. Fantastic. <laughs> so we just go to an ad okay. break. We're back in a moment. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300-664-339 or Google... With the home loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are my teeth? <laughs> okay, thanks very much. We're back again and I'm talking to Andrew, but apparently we have a caller on the line as well. So we take the call, we'll go to Andrew May. Okay. Hello. 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 Yes. Hello. Hi. Yes. There. Um, I'm Hi. <laughs> I'm 61 years old, and I've heard about transitioning into retirement, but I don't know where to start. Uh, do you have any tips for me? You're the youngest 61-year-old I've ever heard in my life, but obviously you must have a very good diet. <laughs> um, okay. So, Paul, transition yeah, yes, to retirement. <laughs> well, look. Uh, I think you could have answered that by saying you're ringing up on behalf of your uh, your mum or someone. But look, um, that's okay. Look, uh, transition to retirement, an easy way for someone who uh, doesn't want to retire from work or wants to work part-time and wants to start to access part of their super. It used to be a particularly tax-effective strategy. It's not anymore because the government changed the rules come the 1st of July. But if you uh, mm-hmm. do want to transition to retirement, you can t- start to take out a, a pension. And let's say you had, uh, I'll just keep the numbers simple, you had $100,000 in super, 
you could take have to take out a minimum of four percent and a maximum of ten percent. So that means a minimum of four thousand dollars and a maximum of ten thousand dollars each year as a pension. Because you're over yep. sixty, it'll pretty well be tax free for you, so no issues there. And uh, a way to access some of your super and keep working. Yeah, so that's the point. Uh, if you're eligible and old enough, you can do it, or you could uh, talk to. Uh, uh, perhaps the person you're calling for. Yeah, and also, Kate, I, I'd, I'd love to know um, what the elixir of youth is. We're so young sounding for a 61-year-old. Thanks for joining us. I'm very youthful, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Peter. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Andrew, back thank to you. you, mate. Okay. Andrew Main, so yeah. back to you. Here is my idea. Look, I think it would be, it'd be crazy for governments to get in there and try and break up the banks. And as Paul pointed out, a lot of the banks are actually trying to get rid of their financial, um, well, their wealth farms anyway. Yeah, sure. But I, I've always argued that I think the banking system needs what is available for consumer claims and the building industry. There should be a consumer claims tribunal system where a, a, a banking customer that's got a beef with the banks can go to an independent conciliator who, who there's no lawyers, they hear the, hear the case, and ultimately he decides or she decides you know, how the problem should be sorted out. I think over time, if lots more customers had access to something like this, the banks would start seeing that they're losing these cases on a pretty consistent basis, that they've got problems in a certain area of their bank, and they could actually fix them up. What do you guys think about that? Well, could I pop in first, first of yep. all by saying that I think there's some sort of legislation has been brought down. Malcolm Turnbull, who seems to be jumping in and out of uh, military vehicles in Berlin at the moment. Um, he, I was saying, uh, when, when he, I think quite sensibly, admitted that it was a political mistake to, to hold off the, uh, the, the uh, Banking Royal Commission for as, long, for as long as he had, he was making the point uh, along, along the lines of, of what you're talking about. He, say, he was saying that there was a piece of legislation that's been brought in, which I don't quite get, which is going to sort of be a, a kind of ombudsman for people who've, mm. who've lost money in, in, that, in that circumstance. I think that's, a, that's certainly a, a, a very real point. But I'll also reveal to you, this is a global scoop, that um, a certain bank whose um, symbol looks, has been compared to three satelloids um, gets 46,000 complaints a year. Um, which is an interesting statistic. And I, I'm mm. not saying they're the worst. I suspect they're not. They're not. Um, mm. And that tells me that there's a very large unmet demand for conciliation, investigation, and indeed, as you, as you called, called it, restitution. Mm. Look, Peter, I think it's an interesting idea, but it's not a new idea. And there is already a, a complaints authority called the Financial Ombudsman Scheme. Absolutely hopeless, and I've got personal experience in dealing with them. Absolutely hopeless. Now, that's as Andrew said, the government's already said there's going to be a new sort of financial authority or something. Financial authority. Yeah. I, I think if, if you were to take your suggestion, uh, they would really have to resource it properly. Yeah. And so that's, that's the penalty on, on the financial authority. That's, that's the penalty. And it would have to be almost given the effect of like uh, the full legal backing so that it's like a consumer claims tribunal. It's up to the, the bank. Mm. You know, they have to pay up no matter what. They don't have any appeal. And consumers have to know that they can get resources and people to help them put a case together. Uh, and it might need, you know, not 
five, not, not tens of millions of dollars, but hundreds of millions of yeah. dollars to give yeah. it enough teeth. Yeah, and, 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 and it might have to be run by a government department. It might be run by a government department. So uh, it's no... I think if you're going to suggest that, you have to say it's going to need hundreds of millions of dollars to resolve Maybe a billion. Properly. Maybe a billion. Yeah. And, and that may do enough. But, but and over time, Paul, there would be less problems because you know, the, the less disputes, the less outlays for the financial institutions to run the thing. But in, in a substance, that's not that different to what we've already had with FOS. And it hasn't worked. What's FOS? Financial Ombudsman scheme. Yeah, but, 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 but they don't actually come in and actually conciliate. I've actually taken two builders to the Building yeah. Disputes Tribunal and won both times. And it was simply the builder came in with his uh, uh, defence. I went in with my attack and they just listened to it and said, you're wrong, you're right, pay up. And, and I thought that was great. And I think a lot of these, these stories, imagine if they'd gone to a conciliator, we'd been over in about two minutes. What, what do you think, Andrew? Um, I, I was just, just visualising Peter standing on the top of the ladder having a chat with a guy with extremely hairy legs decided it might be best <laughs> to go down the ladder and, re, and resort to rather more formal communication. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point. I just want to throw in, by the way, that we have had the bank the bank levy, I've seen, which mm. is you know, a, a levy on the banks, which to my understanding has raised a couple of billion dollars. That's one point uh, in terms of how we're going to finance these things. The other thing was, I understood from a conversation I had last week that ASIC raises $700 million a year in a combination of fees and fines. And that's actually a fair bit more than it costs ASIC to run itself. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I, the person I was talking to ASIC pointed out the money they've just been given, uh, or supposedly given by the government, only takes them back to where they were a couple of years ago because it wasn't that long ago they had the money taken off them. So I do believe that um, in keeping with your, your gentleman's point about it's probably got to be a, a government instrumentality and it's got to be properly resourced. Well, there's money out there. Uh, it's got to be channeled in the, in the right places. And uh, I mean, what, what I think we're really talking about is if you've got a, a proper organization looking into these things, it's got teeth, got the ability to, uh, to get compensation. Um, what will happen, and this is possibly my, my, naive, my naivete creeping in uh, once more, what's the, the, what may happen is, is the financial institutions start to behave themselves a lot better. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, I can take it one step further in the, in the minutes we've got left, Peter, and another radical idea is can ASIC start with a new regulator? Because I, I think if you ask anyone in the industry, we all think ASIC is pretty incompetent. Mm. And uh, I think so far, every, everything that's coming out of the Royal Commission hasn't given us any confidence the other way. So if, it, if it's broken, start again, get a new regulator, maybe break up companies and, and some of the bits that ASIC currently do and say that things around financial services, we need a proper regulator that's got the right resources, right mm. people, uh, and starts with maybe a clean sheet of paper. Yeah. I, I love what the Americans do. The, Amer yeah. the Americans call them czars. We need a financial services czar who goes in and kicks but big time. What do you think about that, Andrew? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there was the old, the old joke that used to be made among the press that there was only two ways to describe what ASIC was doing. They were either, they were either having a crackdown or asleep at the wheel. Uh, what I do <laughs> understand is that they do not have the, the one or two little bits of powers that they ought to have they don't have. And one of them, quite simply, is they can't charge anybody. Uh, my understanding is 
the US and the UK, the regulator certainly has got a little bit more power. Um, and see, the way it works, as I understand it at the moment, is ASIC investigates a large organization, has a long and messy spa with them, possibly gets, gets them to pay quite a lot of money, which is what happened incidentally with AMP. Uh, they pay a couple of million, couple of million dollars in restitution, which is, which is good. But the problem is that that's actually come, that back pocket change for, for the financial institution. What really needs to happen is you know, the, the, the hot lights, the, the, uh, what, the, what the Americans call the perp walk, where you've got somebody who is a senior executive of a large financial institution walking towards a court looking decidedly unhappy with the turn of events. That is, yeah. that is what has really got to happen. And ASIC, the problem seems to be, there's a specific problem with, with ASIC. The DPP, the Director of Public Prosecutions, is the, is the, or, was the organization that decides whether to prosecute or not. And uh, the DPP has got finite resources. And unless they get absolutely a, a, what's known as a file, the pink ribbon round, it, with, uh, a, an absolutely clear-cut case, they'll quite often say, Oh, it's all a bit hard. We're not sure we can afford that. Now, mm. what seems to me to be the case is there's lots of money there. It just doesn't happen to be in the DPP. Now, I don't. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. I don't understand exactly the relationship between ASIC and the DPP. But what we do know is that ASIC far too often has reverts back to its sort of slightly more wet lettuce powers, such as the enforceable undertaking. Now, if you look at enforceable undertakings that have been signed over over recent years, it's essentially a, an organisation saying. Uh, we we don't admit uh, guilt, but we won't do it again. It, I know that sounds bizarre, but that's really the, mm. the summary of it. Yeah. And there are exactly. powers that currently exist with, with ASIC, but they don't they don't provide what I call the smack of rubber on buttocks. There's no there's no um, there's no evident suffering created by uh, the investigation. If money yeah. changes, that's, exactly that's great. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly what we want. And, and we probably mentioned buttocks and bottoms far too much in this program today. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's Andrew Main, who writes for the Switzer um, Daily um, website. And his uh, uh, story on um, the Royal Commission will be uh, in the website tomorrow. That's the show. We're going to wind up, wind up. We've gone too far. Thanks for joining us. Same time next week. It's the Switzer Show. Thanks for joining us. So long, farewell, I'll be just saying goodnight. I hate to go and leave this pretty sight. <laughs>